huge waves bursting into mists along the shoreline. The sky was black with storm. The, the rain poured down and thunder and lightning were all around. The huge waves were soaring overhead. And yet in the midst of that, far up on a rocky peak, hidden in the cleft of a rock, we find this little shelter from the storm. A shelter in which no wind or rain came in and a little bird had built a nest. And this bird, in its very safe, secure place of the nest, looked out on the scene with a very serene and untroubled eye to all the turbulence beneath. And for you and I, it it seems to be a more accurate picture of the world we live in. And it's a more accurate picture of the rest that God offers to us this morning. It's a fact that we live in a warring, restless, troubled world. There's no doubt about it. The peace and rest offered by the world is a far cry from that which is offered to us through the gospel of Christ. He provides us a rest that we can never have apart from him. And as we think of God's rest this morning, we must remember the warning from chapter 3 that I read previously. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Many will harden their hearts to God's invitation, and as a result, they'll miss out on God's rest in their lives. Whether through disobedience or unbelief, a lack of faith, their hearts can become hardened to the truths of God made available to us through Christ Jesus. This is what happened to the Israelites, as described in the end of chapter 3 that I read earlier. And that passage and that story serves as our historical and textual context this morning for our passage. If you remember that Moses led the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, out of their captivity to the Egyptians, ostensibly to the promised land of Canaan, where they would find rest. Unfortunately, their unbelief prevented them from entering. They were afraid, in spite of God promising them rest and victory over the people in that land, only Joshua and Caleb believed, and the rest turned away. And because of that, they wandered in the wilderness for another 40 years. Ultimately, Joshua led a subsequent generation by faith into the promised land of Canaan for the rest. And, and this is where we pick it up in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. So let's go ahead and start reading with that context in mind. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest... Any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who had heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. 
Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter it because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David after so long a time, just as he had said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. All right, so in today's passage, the author gives two examples of God's rest. Right? First, we see an example of God's rest himself. God rested in creation. He rested from his works, as verse 4 says. And the author of Hebrews here is clearly tying God's rest with a rest from his works. Okay? We want to, to note that today in our context. It's a rest from works that God offers. After six days of creation, God's work in creation was finished and he rested on the seventh day. As God rested from his works, the offer of rest is extended to all his creation. God gave the seventh day to Israel to to celebrate and to rest in the Lord. And it was not intended to be a burden. They were simply supposed to stop and enjoy God and to worship him and rest in his provision. However, because of man's sin, the Sabbath was burdened by all sorts of rules and and regulations and things not to do, and it often did not pr- provide the rest that it had promised. But the simple truth remains for us to remember is that we have an example of God himself resting from his works. Next, we are also given the example of Israel's rest in Canaan, or the promised land. Now remember, one generation did not enter because of disobedience and unbelief, but Joshua, after succeeding Moses, did finally lead the Israelites into the promised land of Canaan. They finally rested from their wandering, rested from uh, their fears of survival, and rested in God's provision in the land flowing with milk and honey. They entered this rest through faith. That's the key. They trusted God, not only in the deliverance from Egyptian captivity, but also for his daily provision even in the wilderness, and eventually his fulfilled promises of a new home. So here we have an example from God, not only of a rest from works, and also we see one group of Israelites not entering into his rest because of disobedience and the lack of faith, but we also see a latter group following Joshua's lead into God's rest by faith. But, That's not the final rest that God was offering, right? So let's look at the present experience of God's rest. The author of Hebrews here makes a point that this rest that was promised, this rest that was provided by Joshua in the promised land, was not the final rest that they should be expecting. In other words, Joshua could not lead them into spiritual rest. Verse 8. And the author's argument here in verse 7 is that David, who lived generations past Joshua, 
still spoke of a rest to be had. All right? So if the rest was fulfilled in the promised land back then, then why would there still be a rest available today? Now, if you're reading from the King James translation, uh, those translators there in verse 8 chose to put the name Jesus here instead of Joshua. The King James is the only translation in modern times that uses Jesus here. Every other one uses Joshua. And there's an interesting wordplay here because the Greek word is the same for both Joshua and Jesus. It's Iesus, okay, just like Yeshua in Hebrew. Iesus is Joshua and Jesus. King James is the only one that chose to use Jesus here. It actually should say Joshua. Although here is an instance where the Greek reader has an advantage over us as English readers because they would come across this name and they would have to decide which is it talking about. And of course, in the greater context of Hebrews, the author is pointing everything to Jesus. So we see the Joshua, the Asus of the Old Testament, uh, not providing the spiritual rest, but leading the people into the promised land. And yet it's, comparison, it's a comparison and contrast with the Asus of the New Testament, the Son of God. Very interesting. Anyway, uh, let's keep going. Uh, David says that today, today is the day of rest. Okay, It's not past. It's, it's not too late. His people had not missed out. He says today is the day of rest. And in chapter 3, we, we see a whole reference to Psalm 93 being made that, that's referenced here. But this is the same message for you and I today. Today is the day of rest. It's an invitation to salvation. Today is a day of salvation for all of us. God offers you a rest from your wandering and from your searching. Apart from God's rest, you and I are crushed, crushed under the weight of our sins. In Psalm 38, verse 4, we see, For my iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. And then also in Psalm 34, verse 18, says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So the Bible says that we are unable to bear the weight of our sins. And God offers us a rest from this burden. And as we enter into his rest, we do so by placing our faith and trust in him alone. It's by faith that we enter into this rest, not by works. God rested from his works. We too find rest apart from works. For it's by faith we are saved, not of works, lest any of us should boast. Now, verse 2 and verse 6 both mention the preaching of the good news. Uh, The Greek word used here in this passage is euagalizo. It simply means to preach or to proclaim the good news. It's very similar to the other Greek word, it's euagalion, which is simply the gospel or the good news, mentioned twice here in our passage. And what is the gospel? What is the good news of Jesus? It's simply the invitation to enter into God's rest. It's a truth that says you and I are sinners and, and we're crushed beneath our sin and that we are deserving of punishment by God. But that it's God's forgiveness, his offer that's extended to us in spite of what we've done, in spite of who we are. That's the good news. It's that Jesus led the perfect life that we can never live. And his death through the sacrifice on the cross 
and his resurrection as victory over sin and death gives us victory and gives us life. We simply place our faith and trust in Jesus alone and we receive that salvation. So the gospel is definitely about salvation, okay? But there's more to the story, right? The, the rest of the gospel is the rest that we have in God in our daily lives. God offers a rest daily. His grace is evident daily, and we find rest in his abundant grace. So the gospel of grace is about salvation, yes, but it's not only that we're saved by grace, it's that we are also sustained by grace. And this is the rest of the gospel. The gospel is about that relationship we have with Jesus Christ every day as new creatures in Christ resting in the Lord. We must trust him and and take him at his word. He's given us so many assurances in his word, so many promises for encouragement. And resting in that gospel truth means that we're resting on his promises. Now, I know that some of you here this morning are, are struggling with fully accepting that forgiveness. Perhaps you know that you've been saved by grace, yes, you, you're forgiven, but there's some, something in your past, uh, not something that you're currently struggling with, but some sin of your past that you just can't let go. You just can't seem to, to rest in God's forgiveness over. Well, I want to encourage you this morning to rest in the gospel. Rest in the promise that God has given you that that we are forgiven, forgiven. Romans 4, 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. We're blessed because of our forgiveness. He will completely, completely cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, and that's conditional, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us All unrighteousness will be wiped away. That's a promise. He'll not hold our sins against us. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember I will not remember your sins. God's grace is sufficient this morning. It's all sufficient. You've never gone too far. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, says that my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. 1 Timothy 1, 14. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. These are promises that we we must claim. See, Jesus, when, when he said it is finished on the cross, he meant it. He did everything that was required to secure and atone for our sins, to secure our salvation. He did everything to complete God's redemptive plan for you and I. It was finished. There's nothing to add on our part. You know, the old song, Jesus paid it all. It's true. 
He paid it all on the cross of Calvary. When we try to atone for our own sins, when we try to, to, to beat ourselves up or we, we try to do something to earn God's merit, it's as if we're saying, whether we know it or not, it's as if we're saying that what Christ did on the cross wasn't enough. It was good. It provided the way. But I also must give something. I must do something to, to finish out. And, you know, this idea usually comes from a good place. It really does. It, in our brokenness, in, in our brokenness and humility, our embarrassment even, in our repentance, our, our shame and guilt over our sin, our regret, we feel that there still needs to be something that we make up towards God, something that we have to do to, to somehow show our sincerity. But our righteousness, our, the things that we do on our own are nothing but filthy rags to God. He doesn't want our works. What he wants is for us to rest in him and in his works. That's what he wants. So what is in your past? What is in your past that you're having trouble giving to the Lord? Is there something that you just can't let go of? And again, I'm not talking about something that you're caught up in right now, sin that is present in your life that you need to repent of and confess to be forgiven, but something that is years past and you've been forgiven on, but you just can't get over. Perhaps it's that some of you are still burdened with a past divorce. We know that it's not God's plan. We know that God's word said that he, he hates divorce, but it's forgivable. Maybe some of you have been caught up in some kind of criminal activity. Perhaps you've taken a human life. Maybe it was justifiable. Maybe it was self-defense or you're a police officer or in the military and you just can't get over that burden and shame. Maybe it's an unwed pregnancy. Whatever it is, know that there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. We don't rest in religion. We don't rest in rules or the standards of men. Religion will tell you that you have to do something. Denominations will tell you that you must conform to their rules. Men will tell you that they must approve of what you've done. Now maybe you're already right with the Lord, but someone wants you to do something else. They, wanna, they want you to confess to a priest or or say ten Hail Marys, or Our Fathers, or get rebaptized, or, or serve a certain amount of time in the church, or mission field, or knock on so many doors, or hand out so many magazines. We don't rest in our accomplishments. We don't rest in the endorsements of men. We simply rest in God. He is the only audience that counts. He's the only audience that we should care for. He's the audience of one that we will be standing for before one day. And that's why we must fall before him. We fall on our face in repentance, confession to him and him alone for that rest. And then walk in those promises that he gives. This life will soon be over. And we don't know exactly when, but 
we who believe do have a confident hope in that future. So therefore, not only do we rest in God now, but there is also this future expectation of God's rest. Rest for all of eternity. God's rest will not be fully realized here on earth. It will not be fully realized until we're in heaven. A future in which we no longer are weighted by the power and the presence of sin in our life. See, in our salvation, we've already been removed from the penalty. We've been set apart. The penalty has no bearing on us, yet we are still under the power and in the presence of sin. Only that day in glory, when we are glorified and this world is over, we have that future expectation to be removed completely from the presence of sin altogether. Of course, this future starts with a connection to Christ. The greater context of Hebrews, all of Hebrews really, but especially in, in these few chapters, is that Jesus is better. The author is connecting to a, a very Jewish audience here, and he's showing that Jesus is better than all these things that they're used to. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses and the Levitical priesthood. He's better than Joshua. The rest that Joshua provided was not sufficient. Jesus is better and gives hope of rest. Jesus stands opposite of all these with a simple, compelling invitation to all who would answer it. And it simply says, come to me. Jesus says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Turn over quickly to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, we see this wonderful invitation of Jesus. And with all that we've looked for regarding God's rest this morning, I want us to see this information or this invitation to enter into the rest of the Savior. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He says, come to me. Not something or, or someone else. It's he alone that will give rest, and that's rest for your souls. Enter the rest of the Savior. The invitation stands today. All who are heavy laden and burdened burdened by their past, burdened by your present, burdened under the weight of trying to make yourself right before God on your own, all who are heavy laden by the weight of the world. He says that Jesus alone will give you rest. He doesn't ask for you to take on anything else. He's not wanting to make your burden greater. Just the opposite. He's telling you that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The invitation to enter the rest of the Savior is also a promise of eternal rest for our souls. Eternal rest. It's ultimately what God uh, gives us for hope. It's the hope that we have in the midst of this heartache and suffering that surrounds us in this present world. It's the eternal rest that we long for in that far-off country that we as believers are citizens of. 
promised land in uh, the day of Moses and Joshua was mere foreshadowing of this glorious future. First, we'll, we'll see it exemplified in the millennial kingdom in the future. Fulfills the Old Testament promises to Israel. But ultimately, we'll, we'll see this promise fulfilled of rest in the eternal state with new heavens and new earth. However, we cannot escape the fact that there are several reminders of warnings in this text. Several warnings that we must heed this morning about missing out on the promise. Verse 1 tells us that we should have a healthy fear of falling short of this rest. Verse 2 warns that hearing the good news is of no profit unless it's united by faith. Verse 11, therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. See, we, we cannot be passive on this. The generations of Israelites led by Moses, you know, they couldn't just stroll into the promised land. They were told by God to go in and to conquer it. The promise that, that God gave them that they would have victory. However, they disobeyed, and, and through their fear and their unbelief, they did not enter, thus causing them to wander for another 40 years. So verse 2 says, The word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. You must enter into God's rest by faith. And the invitation is there. The way is provided by our Savior. The promise is eternal rest for our souls. But heed this warning. There remains the reality of eternal punishment as well. The invitation is for eternal rest, but there's a warning for eternal punishment. Those who are not diligent to enter his rest through faith, verse 3, God says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter. So the question today is, will you enter his rest? Will you? Don't miss out on the promise of rest. Don't be like the Israelites, searching but not entering. And remember, the offer is limited to today. There is a limit. It's limited by today. There's no promise for tomorrow. There's only the offer of today. Enter into his rest through salvation. Answer his invitation to come to him. Him alone. He will give you the rest. For the rest of us here, maybe you've already responded through faith. You're a child of God and, and you're serving him. I ask you, find rest in that salvation given by the Savior. Be encouraged that he has forgiven you. He's redeemed you. He's, he's restored you from whatever previous state that he can now cause you to be used for his glory today. Walk in those promises. Perhaps this morning you simply need to pray to your heavenly father and ask him to help you find that rest that he's already promised to give you. Don't miss out. If you'll go ahead and bow your heads. I just want to give an opportunity for everyone here to respond to this invitation of God. 
Will you come to Jesus? Will you lay your sin and burden at his feet, take his yoke upon you, and rest in the forgiveness that's offered? Will you rest in Jesus Christ and that promise to forgive you of all your past sins and to walk in that newness of life? Today may be the day that you need to pray to God and just lay that burden down. Claim that promise that he's given you. As we pray, if if there's something that you need to respond to, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Do it right there in your pew. If you need to come forward and pray, please come. After we pray, there'll be an opportunity to have any questions that you might have answered on how you might have this rest. Father in heaven, we just thank you for that promise that you've given us this morning. We thank you for your grace and how abundant it is. In spite of what we've done and how much we've rebelled against you, your promise remains that all we need to do is come to you in faith and repentance and that you have promised us forgiveness. Help us to claim that. Help us to live by that. Help us to recognize that we're not ever free from sin, but that your grace is sufficient for whatever sin that we give to you. You've already paid the price. You've completely covered it on the cross of Calvary, and you rose in victory over it. Ascend it on high. Sit in victory today, and you'll give that same victory to us over our sin in our life. So we just thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. May stand, please, and Brother Steve's going to be here. If anything is on your heart that you want to talk about, please come forward. We would love to hear from you. Take a Bible and show you more about this rest that you can have. However God may lead you this morning, please respond now.
Brother Steve. You may be seated. Ushers, if you'll make your way forward for our morning offering. And as they do so, I want to share a couple of prayer requests with you. First of all, some of you may not know that Brother Frank Haggett passed away yesterday. Yesterday morning, he, he crossed that finish line, and he's in his internal home this morning enjoying his reward. But we ask your prayers for Nell Haggett and the rest of his family as 